Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. All right, good morning. I am Pastor Mark. I'm the pastor here at New Day Community Church in Vandalia. I'm so glad to see all of you here today. Uh, We are continuing, well, we're not actually, we're not only continuing, but we are concluding our series called Kingdom Parables, where we have spent the last six weeks talking about a a number of parables that, that Jesus taught, and we've tried to look at them and understand them in a way to, to help us to, to grasp Jesus's view of the kingdom. And he often used parables, which are short stories, to communicate things uh, to his people. And so last week, Graham was here and he shared about the parable that immediately precedes the one we're going to look at today. He shared the, the the parable of the persistent widow, um, and he talked about the importance and the, the value of persistence and faith in God in the midst of injustice, in the midst of difficulty, and in the midst of painful situations. And the, the parable ends with this statement of Jesus where he asks, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And where the the previous parable was really about persistent faith, holding on to this this faith, looking forward to Jesus coming back, today's parable is really about the object of our faith, or where the focus of our faith is. Where are we placing our faith? And today's parable is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. And Jesus really is showing two different approaches that people have used to approach, to draw close to the kingdom of God. Right? There is the approach of confidence in ourselves, in our own ability to, to justify ourselves, which means to, to make ourselves right before God. Right? We can do that. We can try to do that to earn it on our own. And then there is the approach of mere confidence in the love and the mercy of God. And as we will see in this parable, one of these is a doorway that leads us or invites us into the kingdom. And one of these approaches leads to a wall that separates us and even keeps us out of the kingdom of God. Right? So that is where we are heading today. But in order for us to, to really understand this parable, what I wanted to start with is trying to get our brains into the, the brains of the people who would have first heard this. We want to put our feet in the sandals of the people in the marketplace or on the hillside outside of some little town in Palestine. When they first would have heard Jesus share this message, how would they have viewed the two main characters that we have in this Parable. So we're going to set aside our preconceived notions of what a Pharisee is and a tax collector. Okay? And we're going to read the parable in a moment after I get you in this first century mindset. All right, so first we have a Pharisee. And uh, this Pharisee would have been incredibly highly regarded in Israel throughout all of Palestine. Right? These are the guys that would have been seen to have had it all together. They're kind of the, the rock stars or the movie stars of Palestine. If you can imagine a religious leader being like the, the big hotshot, like the Fonz. Is that, is that a 
contemporary thing. Uh, somebody super cool, right? These were these prestigious religious leaders. These were the guys who were closest to God. They spent their entire lives studying the scriptures, studying the law. They had even created hundreds of other uh, laws and rules that would help people to keep the laws and the rules in the Old Testament, right? They uh, they wanted everybody to obey the, the law of God, and their intentions were great, right? They loved God so much. They wanted to see God return, and they had looked through the, the history of Israel, and they saw how many times Israel had failed and fallen, fallen into to judgment, right? And then they would repent, and God would come and restore them, and they would fall, and then they would, you know, repent, and God would come. We see it over and over in the history of Israel. And the Pharisees thought, if we could help people, or force people, to obey every little bit and piece of the law, every little jot and tittle of the law, right, then the Messiah will come back, and God will restore Israel to its rightful place. Everything is going to be great. So when the first century folks would have heard this parable, they would not have vilified the Pharisee. He would have been the assumed hero of the story. Okay? So when we read the story, think Pharisee is my hero figure. Okay? Uh, and then there's the tax collector. And the tax collector is the opposite end of the spectrum. Hated despised. They were seen as traitors. These were Jewish people who had aligned themselves with Rome to, uh, to be part of the tax system, and they would tax the brothers and sisters of, of Israel, and they would uh, charge them extra so that they could line their own pockets with the money after giving the, Rome their share. And so the people in Israel would have watched these tax collectors get richer and richer. They're getting nicer and nicer clothes. Oh, that guy's got a new donkey this week. Wonder where he got the money for that. Oh yeah, that, he stole that from me. And so every time they saw the tax collector, they would have been angry and despised him. He is a heretic. He's turned his back on the people of God. Therefore, he's turned his back on God. He is a traitor. He is a thief. He is the worst of the worst. That is the perspective of the people listening to this parable. All right, so we have two guys, a righteous uh, religious leader and a villain. And so I'm going to read the parable for... Oh, there they are. The fancy righteous Pharisee and the miserable tax collector. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So this story would have been shocking to those people. And I wanted to, I tried to think, how could I contemporize this, this parable? 
So I was like, who is, a, who is a good guy and a bad guy in our culture? And I thought of some real people, and I thought, well, that's going to be contentious. So then I changed my mind, and I thought, there are, there's two guys, right? There is Darth Vader, who is... So these are characters from a little movie called Star Wars, released in 1977, and constantly, it seems, ever since then. So... Uh, so Darth Vader is the big bad guy, right? He's dressed in black, he's terrifying, he has aligned himself with the evil emperor to, to enslave races across the galaxy, he's murdered all the Jedis, he is a terrible, terrible guy. Right? And then we have Luke Skywalker, who is the hero. I maybe still look up to Luke Skywalker. I grew up in Delton on this, on this little farm, and when I saw Star Wars the first time, I identified with this, this young uh, moisture farmer that just wanted to go and do something exciting in, in the galaxy, right? And I would dream of someday breaking free uh, of Delton. And, and look, I've arrived. <laughs> All the way from Delton to Vandalia. So... Um, and, uh, and so Luke is the hero, right? He is the hero of the Battle of Yavin, where they fly their X-Wings in and they destroy the Death Star before the, the uh, Grand Moff Tarkin and Darth Vader can destroy Yavin base. And it's a very intense moment there in episode four. We should probably have a Star Wars watching party here at the church some Friday night. That'd be fun. Okay, and so these are the, so we know who the good guy is, we know who the bad guy is, all right? Mark, you're really dragging this one out. Okay, but imagine I am a great teacher, <laughs> imagine that, and I come before you, we're out in a field, and I tell you this parable, all right? To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Mark told this parable. Two men went up to a temple to pray. One was Luke Skywalker, and the other was Darth Vader. Luke stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like Darth Vader. I saved Yavin by blowing up the first Death Star, and I defeated Emperor Palpatine, who enslaved the entire galaxy. And then Darth Vader stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that Vader, rather than Luke, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So I don't know if that helps anybody at all. But for me, this idea that somehow Vader could go home justified after the atrocities that he had done, and that Luke, the good farm boy, after all the good heroic things he did, came against a wall that kept him from the kingdom. Of course, this would require Vader repenting, which he I never, well, he kind of did in Rendezvous, but let's, we can talk about that after church. Would Vader actually repent? It's a parable. It's, it breaks down at some point. And so the, the point of this parable, right, is that there is a preconceived notion about who is righteous and who is not righteous. And, and Luke really tells us exactly, the auth, not Luke Skywalker, but Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, he tells us exactly who this parable is written to, those who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. That's who Jesus told this parable to. 
And the NASB is the New American Standard Bible. This is often a, a translation that's going to be a little bit more literal, a little more word for word, often makes it more difficult for English readers to, to read, but they uh, often like to compare the NIV and the NASB. They said, to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Right? There's this whole group of people in Israel that in many of them were Pharisees that were trusting in themselves, trusting in their own accomplishments. They were trusting in their own ability to make themselves righteous through their actions. And it's easy for us to think, well, that's not me. Right? I know the right answer. I've been to Sunday school enough times that I know the right answer. But it's important that we step back and look at our actions. Our, our actions and our thoughts betraying this lie that we think we need to prove ourselves, that we need to in some way earn our way into God's good graces. If you sin in, in some way, do you feel like you have to kind of beat yourself up for X number of hours or X number of days before you can really step back into the presence of God? That is going to betray a confidence in ourselves. And what we see as Jesus continues to tell this parable is that self-confidence is a wall that separates us from the kingdom of God. And we can see, just look at the, the, uh, the Pharisee's prayer. Right? The, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I've got. And what's interesting as we think about the Pharisee is that these things are true. Right? He is righteous. He is obeying the law of God. Right? And beyond. It says that he fasted twice a week. The the law only commanded one or two days throughout the year that you were were supposed to fast. And yet this guy, and uh, most people think for some reason it's Mondays and Thursdays that they fasted. I don't know if there's a significance to that, but that's what I read. And so he fasted twice a week, and he would give a tenth of, of all that he gave, or the, all that he received. So this guy was doing really well, right? He obeyed all the laws. He wasn't a robber. He would never act like uh, the, the tax collector did, like stealing from other people. Like, no, he was looking for the Messiah to come so that he would restore Israel, Right? He wasn't an evildoer. He would never commit adultery. Right? He was probably seeking out people that committed adultery so he could throw them out into the street. He certainly wasn't like this tax collector. And it's all because he cared deeply about the Word of God. At least that is where it would have started. But somewhere along the way in his passion and his love for God, He starts becoming self-righteous. We see this prayer, it's all about him. He he mentions God once, but then it's all about his standing and his accomplishments. He compares himself to everybody else. Look at my spiritual resume. Look at my accomplishments. Look at my pedigree. And he prays out loud for everybody to hear. This is not a self-conscious guy. He is proud of himself. 
I think if he had a Twitter, oh, you guys can't see it, or if he had a, uh, an Instagram, it, it would look something like this. I'm sorry, you can't see it. So we, up in the top left, we got some Pharisees looking down on the commoners. Hashtag out with my boys. Hashtag better dressed. Then we've got an, an angry, maybe he's out and he's kind of condemning some, some robber or evildoer. Hashtag righteous, hashtag zealous. I've got this all together, right? He would certainly be the guy Instagramming him studying the Torah with his tall latte, right? Like this is who the, the Pharisee was, right? Proud of himself. But his boast and his confidence, his accomplishments, they were the, the leg that he stood on before God, right? But the tax collector comes in, he got no leg to stand on. He's got nothing, right? And he knows it. So he stands at a distance. The, the Pharisee comes right up before the, 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 uh, the holy place, you know, praying in the, in the temple before God. But the tax collector, he stands back. He won't even turn his eyes up to look at God. He beats his breast, which would have been a sign of, of repentance. Because the tax collector was anything but righteous. And again, I think the, the NASB gets kind of a more literal translation. Right? The NIV, I've got to remember to make my fonts bigger, friends. If you stand right here, it's great. But you can see that? Okay. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But the NASB, again, a little bit more literal translation, says, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. In the original Greek, there is a definite article there. He doesn't say, I'm one of the sinners. He says, I am the sinner. I'm the chief of the sinners. I am the worst of the worst. And everybody listening to this story would have said, hurrah, he is the worst of the worst. He deserves no mercy. And yet, somehow, this is the prayer that God answers. It is mind-boggling. And every, every, um, uh, every parable has this, this twist ending. I guess that was verse 14. Oh, it's not verse 14. Well, anyway, every, every, uh, every parable has this, this twist to it, this surprising turn of events. And in verse 14 of this parable, that's what we have when it says that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went away justified. Right? And his prayer was this cry of undeserved mercy. And this mercy can have the two ideas, this biblical word translated as mercy. The first one can be to cause to be favorably inclined. So the tax collector is coming before the throne of God and crying out, God, would you look favorably on me? God, would you look favorably on me? Knowing that he has no leg to stand on, he's the worst of the worst, but he's crying out for the mercy of God. He knew the Old Testament enough to remember that, he, that God had revealed himself to Moses as one who was slow to anger and gracious and compassionate. He would have remembered enough of the stories, like the 400 years of the judges when the Israelites would worship God and 
celebrate and then they would reject God and they would be sent into judgment and they would repent. And it's just this season of hundreds and hundreds of years of ups and downs, what Eugene Peterson calls the sawtooth history of Israel. Right? There was ups and downs throughout Israel's history. And so this tax collector comes and says, God, would you look favorably on me? Second definition could be uh, mercy can be translated, this idea of eliminating barriers that separate us from God. And so you could easily translate this passage as the tax collector crying out, God, will you tear down the walls of sin that keep me from you? He knew that he had nothing He had no bridge. He had no righteous acts. He had nothing that he could bring before God that would allow him deserved entrance into the kingdom of God. And that is where we get the twist. I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. What are you talking about? Imagine these People sitting in in the marketplace or sitting in the fields outside of Bethlehem or some little town in Palestine. What? No, no, no. That can't be. Right? That is the tax collector. He's been stealing from us for years. Right? He is the traitor. He is a heretic. He doesn't care about you at all, God. He's just at the end of his ropes. Forget about him. Right? If... If this was Darth Vader repenting in the temple, ridiculous, I know, but the whole rebel alliance would have been like, what are you talking about? He can't repent. He can't have mercy. He blew up Alderaan. Bad deal. (laughs) I'm just, you're bringing all my Star Wars knowledge today. Right? Anyway, the point being that this would have been absolutely bonkers for those who were, were listening to this, but it's the tax collector's humility and his right understanding of his position or his standing before God that brings him into the kingdom. He rightly knew that he had nothing to offer. And it was the Pharisee's self-righteousness and his self-confidence that was a wall that kept him from being justified, that kept him from entering the kingdom of God. And from our perspective, we can look at the tax collector and the Pharisee, right? We can look at somebody who is super righteous and somebody who is still stuck in their sin, and we can see a great difference between the two. Well, that guy is certainly more righteous than this guy. But before a holy God, there is a no difference. That's crazy. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are both messed up. And Jesus is not condoning here the the actions of the, the tax collector. He's not saying that it doesn't matter what you do, right? But what he is saying is that nothing that you have done can keep you from the love of God if you come in faith. Right? This is so important. Jesus is not condoning the actions of the evildoers or the uh, adulterers or the, what, I can't remember what the other one was, the tax collector, right? He's not condoning the, these actions, but he's saying they don't keep us back from experiencing the love of God. They don't keep us from entering into the kingdom. 
Right? When I got saved, I was 20 or 21 or something like that, and I was a mess. Right? I was happily living my life, rejecting God, turning my back on him, doing whatever I wanted to do. I was in lifestyles that I would hope my kids never fall into. Right? And in that place, when I had nothing to offer, I remember the, the moment of standing inside this little church on Dutton Street in Kalamazoo and praying with, with Pastor Cameron, giving my life to the Lord. Right? And in that moment, when I had nothing, God, you know, he received me and he loved me, adopted me into his family, justified me. Right? I am now uh, the son of the Most High. I am a follower of Jesus. But now... 25 years later, right? I'm much more righteous than I was. You know, and I can fall into this thing where I can start to put my confidence in my, you know, my knowledge of the Bible or my seminary training, right? The, the role that I have in the church, the places where I've served, the, the amount of, of money that I have given. You know, whatever it is that I start to put my hope and my trust in God, God, you can love me. I deserve to be here because of this, this, and this. But the reality is that none of that stuff brings me into the kingdom. And if this parable can be believed, when I start trusting in those credentials and those ideas, that actually creates a wall that keeps me from entering into the kingdom of God. And that is the last thing that I want. And there's one, one more thing that I think we need to touch on as we, we look through this parable. At the beginning, it, Jesus, said, or, yeah, Jesus said that he told this parable for those who were confident in themselves and those who looked down on other people. You see, the, the Pharisees uh, distanced him, uh, the, his confidence in himself distanced him from the kingdom and also distanced him from other people, right? And to the point where he's living in comparison and, and in his prayers, throwing people under the bus. Imagine doing that. Like, like that has never crossed my mind to be like, God, I, I, you know, I love you. you know, thank you for this day. Pray for your blessing. Man, I'm so much better than Jim. Have you noticed how bad he is? You're welcome. You're welcome that I'm doing such a good... You're welcome. I read two chapters of the Bible this morning, and, you know, I've arrived. Thank you. Right? Never. But this is the, the prayer of the, the Pharisee here. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. Right? He saw himself as better than them. And so... What we learn from this is that when we put our confidence in ourselves, in our righteousness, we distance ourselves from others, right? It's an automatic thing. We don't think about it. It just happens. But when we see ourselves as the objects of grace and mercy, that breeds compassion for others, right? When we see ourselves as recipients of undeserved grace, it is easy for us to pour out undeserved grace on other people. When we understand and we remember that we are the recipients of undeserved love, not when we cleaned ourselves up, but when we were shaking our fist in defiance against God, when we had turned our backs on him, we're doing our own thing, he poured out, he lavished his love on us. When we remember that, it's easy to pour out undeserved love on others. So 
So we need to, in response to this parable, examine our hearts. Right? Who do I look down on? Right? Who do I not honor? Who do I not treat with the love that they deserved? And in the United States and in the church in the U.S., it is unfortunately easy to, to see where the church, I'm making a generalization here, where the church has failed where we look dishonoringly and disapprovingly and we withhold ourselves, we withhold the love of God on people who should be the recipients of undeserved grace and undeserved love, right, before they have proven themselves, before they have cleaned themselves up. You know, historically, you know, the the church and myself, right, I have, you know, dishonored the poor. Right? The church has dishonored and not loved well women. Right? We have dishonored and not loved refugees, foreigners. You know, we have dishonored people of the opposite political party. We have un- been unloving towards and dishonoring towards minorities and people from the LGBTQ plus community. Right? We look at these other people, and whether we say it to other people out loud or we, we just think it in our brains, we can start to, to look at other people in other situations and go, well, at least I'm not like them. At least I don't sin like that. Right? Or, or, God, look at how I compare to the person in that other denomination over there. I'm pretty sure they're cessationists. I'm not, maybe they might not even be saved. God, you're welcome that I pray in tongues. Right? At least I'm not like them. And we begin to stand on our own confidence. But the kingdom is a place of unity. It's a place of equality. It is a place where love is poured out. And this, when we pour out grace and love on people who are still stuck in their sin, it is not condoning sin. Right? When Jesus is walking through the streets of some town, maybe it's Jerusalem, I don't know, the Pharisees come and they throw this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And they say, what should be, what should, we caught her, what should happen to her? And it would be easy for me to think, man, I have to be careful because if I say, you know, let's not, we don't need to stone her, then are they going to think that I'm condoning this kind of activity? Oh, maybe I, I don't, what are they going to think of me then? Jesus doesn't give a rip for any of that, right? He's just like, just what does love require right now to love this woman? And it is the, the kindness of God that leads her to repentance, right? He's not condoning her sin, but he's loving her in allowing her to choose life. Right? And so this is the way that we need to carry ourselves to be recipients of grace, to pour out grace, to be recipients of God's unfailing love, not because we deserve it, but because of his mercy. And then we need to reciprocate. We need to pour out that same love on every person that we encounter. So the heart of this parable right, is um, the issue of humility. Who who are we going to trust? Will you trust in yourself or are you going to trust in the goodness and the mercy of God? And the last little bit is it's important to remember that the kingdom is not a place where we need to continue uh, in this place of beating ourselves up. 
right? The, the, the tax collector comes and, and beats his breast and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. But Jesus says, those who humble themselves will be exalted, right? We need to step into that exaltation, right? When the, uh, Reuben shared a couple weeks ago about the parable of the, uh, the, uh, the lost son, the prodigal son, excuse me. And so the prodigal comes home and he, he repents of his sin and the father, what, gives him new shoes and a new coat and a new ring. He brings him back into his family. He is exalted into this sonship position. And it would have been super offensive for him to continue living like a son, or con- continue to live like a slave, continue groveling, continue saying, Dad, I messed up so bad. I'm so sorry. Forget that. You are back. You are restored. And so when we come humbly before God, we can step boldly into his presence and we don't need to grovel. We can just go, man, I'm a son. I, as I have humbled myself, I have, been, I have been exalted by God. Man, I must be the most humble person in the world. Oh, wait, danger, danger, right? But we just need to continue throwing ourselves on the mercy of God. So where is your confidence? Where is your confidence today? So I want to end by just uh, praying a prayer together, the prayer of this tax collector, really, and the, the prayer of King David found in Psalm 51. Uh, So would you guys just stand with me, and we're just going to read these two um, verses together prayerfully. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for your incredible mercy for your undeserved love that you have poured out on us. Lord, we repent for any way that we have stood upon our own confidence, that we have stood on our accomplishments or our social standing or our our degrees or whatever it is that we put our pride in. Lord, we lay everything down and say, Lord, would you have mercy on me, the sinner? And we thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. And as we humble ourselves before you, you will exalt us.